when we talk about the policy framework and also the whole Green Deal, it's important that we also pay attention to those uh, pieces uh, and enablers of mobility as a service, data policy, public transportation and incentives. This is Pia Karjalainen, Secretary General of the Mobility as a Service Alliance. And this is On the Move, a podcast series by the Transport Area of the Florence School of Regulation on the European Green Deal and its implications for the transport sector. I am Teodora Serafimova and in this series I will be speaking to a number of mobility experts to discuss decarbonization and digitalization among other key issues on the EU transport policy agenda. Today I'm excited to have the chance to ask you a number of critical questions regarding the European Green Deal and what it means for the transport sector as well as mass more specifically. I will also take this opportunity to discuss the consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic on the uptake of mass, both in the short as well as the long run. Pia, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today. Good morning and thank you for this opportunity. Mobility as a service has certainly become a trending topic within the mobility industry lately and especially so in the increasingly congested urban environments. In its European Green Deal, the Commission promises to develop smart systems for traffic management and mass solutions through its funding instruments, such as the Connected Europe facility. Could you elaborate how exactly can mass support the decarbonization of transport and thus contribute to achieving a climate-neutral EU by 2050? Yes, so from the very early years of mobility as a service, from the very beginning, it has been super important for us that the things what we would like to progress with uh, with mobility as a service is resulting something more sustainable than what our current transport system is doing. And of course, now we are very pleased to also notice that the European Commission is acknowledging the potential of mobility as a service as a part of its decarbonization program and also the Green Deal. Um, Mars definitely has a lot of potential when it comes to decarbonization of our transport system. Um, There has been some estimations for instance, coming from the International Transport Forum, ITF, that mass can result in um, minus 50% reduction in vehicle kilometers and minus 30% reduction in CO2 emissions by 2050. And that is, of course, quite significant potential what we are talking about there. The very nice thing with mobility as a service is that it's... um, at the same time, sort of like empowering the individuals when it comes to their mobility choices, what they can do in their everyday life, but also at the same time providing decision makers and politicians in a national EU and and local level to build a framework for more sustainable transport policy. Um, At the individual level, mobility as a service, it's offering a mobility one-stop shop with very easy access to multiple transport services and options and also tools for the individuals to monitor the impacts of their mobility, for instance, the personal carbon footprint. And then based on that uh, information and the uh, availability of of the options to make very well-informed and conscious and sustainable choices. Uh, Then in the policy level, mobility as a service, it creates a framework for sustainable mobility policies based on the wide use of public transportation, mass transit and shared mobility options. 
And I had been working in the policy level, both in Finland and then in the European level. And what we have seen is that Mars is actually quite attractive tool uh, for policy level discussions because typically the all instruments what we have been using in transport policy, they are quite unattractive. They are not uh, not very uh, they are very heavy, harsh measures such as congestion charges, road tolling urban area access regulations, while with mobility as a service, you can provide people, voters, with the new services while still making the shift towards more sustainable transport. Having said that, it's not fair to expect that we could unlock the full potential of mobility as a service without any support from the policy level, from the politicians or decision makers. There are certainly many things um, what can be done and should be done also in the policy level to enable wide-scale deployment of mobility as a service. And if I give some examples, Mars can definitely benefit on the open data policies, investments in public transportation, both when it comes to services and networks, but also modernization of the ticketing and payment systems of public transportation. And as a third aspect, by incentivizing the new mobility services and putting them at the same level in terms of different incentives and subsidized schemes than the car usership is today. And therefore, when when we talk about the policy framework and also the whole Green Deal, it's important that we also pay attention to those uh, pieces uh, and enablers of mobility as a service, data policy, public transportation and incentives and therefore, we are, of course, very happy and, and uh, welcoming the, the um, steps taken by the Commission, uh, taking Mars on board the Green Deal and also allocating some funding through several instruments, Horizon Europe, but also connecting Europe facility to support the big steps that mobi- uh, the Europe can take with mobility as a service. Um, actions at EU level are also very important to avoid the fragmentation of the mobility as a service development in Europe between different regions and countries. Uh, because I think still the eventual vision in, in EU level should be the establishment of single European transport area for whole Europe instead of creating different islands of, of very advanced mobility mobility solutions while other areas might might won't be progressing so rapidly. So the European level actions are definitely needed and, and also uh, they are in a big role to enable mobility as a service solutions, not only for individual cities, but also for the long distance transportation and for cross-border mobility as a service schemes between different EU countries. Um, But however, the the urban mobility policies, also mobility as a service is still widely in local competencies, so competence of, of regions and cities. So also local level actions are always needed. And mobility is always also a very local business and it requires a lot of insights and understanding on the mobility patterns in that certain environment, understanding on the culture, behavior of the people, and then of course, good understanding on the local transport demand and supply. And uh, at the local level, the best thing to do is, is uh, to open to be open for the public-private partnership 
build strong public-private partnership, support innovations, and just to start testing different things to find the one which is working best in, in your environment. And uh, when it comes to Mars or any mobility solutions, I would say that there is no one-size-fits-all solution available, but it's really sort of encouraging the strong public-private partnership where companies are bringing on board new green innovation and also digital technological tools. And the local government is then giving a framework for the development, emphasizing the fact that the mobility as a service and any steps taken should result in something more sustainable than our uh, current transport system is actually doing. Thank you for this uh, very uh, interesting overview, Pia. So um, we, you've talked about the EU level, the, the local level. Can you name a few examples of cities where mass is already a reality? And what would you say were the driving factors behind their success? Yeah, I'm happy to see that, um, of course, the whole mass development or discussion started here in Europe and still European cities are sort of having the, the front uh, or are the, the one who are most advanced with the mobility as a service. I would say that uh, at the local level, um, the progress always starts by identifying the main transport policy problem in that certain environment and then using mobility as a service to address that specific problem. The problem can be heavy congestion, it can be lack of access or connections or services, it can be lack of um, alternatives for the car ownership, it can be heavy burden of mobility to public purse, uh, lack of innovation or simply the fact that uh, somehow the mobility or transport related issues are starting to hinder the competitiveness of the city or the re region. But what is common for the most progressed or advanced cities with mobility as a service is that all of them have had really ambitious and brave policies and policymakers and sort of somehow nothing to lose mentality. Because in many cases, uh, there is a natural hesitation when it comes to any systemic level changes such as mobility as a service. But at the same time, we tend to forget that uh, the today's mobility system, it's not work, working perfectly well either, and it's still causing a lot of problems and externalities. Um, if I mention or want to mention a couple of good examples with uh, mobility as a service, um, of course, Helsinki is one of them. It was the first city in, in Europe and in the whole world where very advanced mobility as a service implementation was launched a couple of years ago. Uh, today, also cities such as Antwerp here in Belgium and Vienna in Austria, they are really advanced ecosystems for mobility as a service. But also many cities in in United Kingdom are doing great things with mobility as a service today. Um, then in the national level, the Netherlands, I really want to mention also that because it has been known as the cradle of, of very advanced and effective uh, cycling policies mm -hmm. in past with the really wide adoption of, of cycling and good environmental results in that regard. Now they are pushing a lot, uh, working a lot with mobility as a service with the national program of seven pilots where they are testing different things and focusing on the different aspects of mobility as a service. 
And um, it's really, um, I'm really keen on seeing the result of, of day pilot soon. And also in the Netherlands, it's a combination of that piloting, uh, wide-scale uh, wide scale piloting, but also the ministry has been really brave in adopting new technologies. There was a launch last week that they are now establishing a blockchain-based platform for mobility as a service in a collaboration with Japanese tech company Sony. Uh, so it's, it's just like uh, uh, indicating the appetite for the new innovations and partnerships. Mm. Uh, and then outside Europe, uh, Mars is also um, being developed in many locations. Um, now I feel that it's uh, mainly Australia and Japan where there are many Mars programs ongoing and they are taking big steps with mobility as a service. In Japan, they are also studying quite interesting schemes on planning complete districts or even cities to be based on mass kind of services instead of use of individually owned vehicles. And uh, in future, I think that it's that kind of comprehensive cross-sectoral policies in cities and uh, out-of-the-box thinking that can create a very good starting point for mobility as a service and really huge revolution on the way how we organize our societies. As you already mentioned, digitalization is clearly at the core of mass, given that its effective implementation relies heavily on the availability and management of data. How can the access to and sharing of high quality data be enabled? And what kind of business model should be considered as part of an urban mobility toolkit? Yeah, I think... Uh, all of, all of you has uh, heard us and me begging for the better access to data and better availability in the data. And that is definitely one of the main preconditions for mobility as a service. And uh, at this front, uh, also the European Commission or EU has done a quite good job with the uh, previous um, legislative initiatives to, such as ideas directive. And now it's more about the question of efficient implementation of the directive in EU countries. Um, this ideas directive is already giving a framework for the wide data sharing uh, of mobility services in EU countries. And by December last year, all EU countries should have opened um, something called national access point to be a um, point for mobility data collection um, of scheduled modes of mobility. Um, meaning mainly public transportation. And there will be new requirements coming uh, in the December this year, so in half a year or so, for other um, mobility solutions such as um, demand-responsive transport, uh, which also then should publish um, their data through national access points. Um, so indeed, after the full implementation and enforcement of this IDS directive by 2023. The only missing component is then facilitating the third party sales of tickets and mobility services. This ticketing component is really crucial for mobility as a service because without access to tickets, the one-stop shop for mobility options cannot be uh, realized. And um, this, this information related to and access to ticketing is also really important for 
um, building different kind of advanced pricing models or bundling of services or time-based subscriptions as a part of mobility as a service. And they cannot be developed or built without full ticketing and payment integration in mobility as a service. So when we talk about mobility as a service and for the preconditions or basic building blocks for mobility as a service, it's then sort of like holy trinity of access to data, availability of the services and the integration of the services. And, and we have to sort of like develop and, and improve the building, um, the, improve the, the uh, enablers on, on all those fronts. Then uh, regarding your question on the business models, um, we are still learning. We are constantly learning when we are doing the implementation. So we are learning about the different partnership and business structures, but we are also learning about the appetite of the users. Um, it's fair to say that this business is not particularly easy, but also reflecting on what we know about the user's interest um, on on the use or interest to use different advanced mobility as services and what we know about the investors expectation i'm still very confident that mobility as a service is the way to deliver high quality mobility services and access to mobility in future the movement towards mobility as a service has been largely fueled by innovative mobility service providers such as car and bike sharing schemes as well as electric scooter companies how can we guarantee that new mobility modes provide a good synergy and act to complement rather than substitute high quality public transport services? Is there a formula to ensuring their balanced development? Uh, again, here yeah, it's pretty hard to give a one size fits all solution as the policy tools um, used or available in the different regions of cities varies. Uh, that, and they are different from city to city. But um, I agree about the goal here. Mars and any other services should support the attractiveness of the public transportation because public transport is the only very efficient way um, to really move big amount of people, big bunches of people around. But in practical level, um, there is also a link to what we discussed before on the access of um, third-party ticket selling of public transport services. It's only when the public transportation is part of mobility as a service solution, it's possible to use different incentives and pricing schemes to nudge people to use public transportation instead of less efficient individual modalities. So if the public transport services remains as they own islands without the chance to provide combined intermodal services or options, it's much more probable that there will be a competition between public transport services and other mobility services instead of situation where those services are um, complementing each other in a most sustainable way. Um, also, when desi designing the services uh, and respective city policies, it's important to keep in mind that the aim of the mobility as a service is to provide alter alternative for the use of cars and alternative for the single occupancy use of vehicles. So the primary target group for mobility as a service, it's, it's not the regular users of public transportation, but those who are maybe 
not yet so familiar with the public transit and the other new services. So keeping this in mind, uh, the integrated payment is really super important, as that is the very often the pay point if you are not using the services every day. Every day. The users might have a questions such as what kind of ticket I need for my trip, how long my ticket is valid, do I need to care about different tariffs or zones, uh, can I pay by credit card, and how I can benefit from the best fare for individual journey. And um, here it's it's really the mobility as a service application and solution can which can help you overcome that that question or you know um, uninformed points in 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 your journeys. When it comes to role of the cities um, in this all and and guaranteeing the good result with mobility as a service, I think it's always city that should own the strategy and vision for for the mobility. And uh, that vision should be clearly communicated to all service providers and actors of the ecosystem. And uh, talking about that, um, although in many cases Los Angeles is, is not maybe the best example on good mobility policies because of the high, high um, dependency on the, on the cars and individual rights, uh, I'm still quite a big fan of their mobility vision where they are pursuing uh, transport happiness. They want to deliver uh, transport happiness for their residents. And that concept of transport happiness in case of Los Angeles is, is then including, including the promises of freedom to get around, uh, freedom from uh, disruptions, freedom of exclusion and freedom from harm. So it's really touching all the different aspects of the mobility, accessibility, uh, safety, security and, and um, the fact that mobility is creating connection with the others. That's very interesting. Thank you for this uh, insight, Pia. Now, flexibility is among the first things that comes to mind when talking about the benefits of mobility as a service and personalized mobility. The rapid spread of the coronavirus goes on to show just how important this flexibility is in enabling last-minute travel changes. In a multimodal reality, though, the insurance status of the traveler varies depending on the mode they're using and their respective passenger ride scheme. So how can the insurance sector evolve to fit users' needs for multimodality while also serving the needs of the service providers? Thank you for the question. I, I have to say that uh, when we started to work more with the insurance sector last year as a part of our work in Mobility as a Service Alliance, this has been one of the most inspiring and interesting work streams, at least for me. Um, so the first point here is really the flexibility, what, what you also mentioned. So I think somehow there is a need to um, build uh, different cancellation options also for the mobility as a service offering so that we can actually compete with the flexibility of the own car or use of your own car. The really nice thing when you ride your own car is the fact that until very last minute you can just cancel your trip if you decide that you are not feeling going somewhere, your meeting was cancelled or for any other reason you need to cancel your trip. In case that you are relying on transport services, in many cases you have booked your tickets already and then the cancellation is not that easy or someone has already invested 
money on that uh, service provision. So the flexibility here, I think that the advanced insurance products can definitely uh, increase the attractiveness uh, of mobility as a services and, and this um, we can maybe learn something from the aviation sector where in many cases you can sort of like add a cancellation insurance when you book your tickets. So we are now studying similar schemes for the mobility as a service. The other part uh, where insurance innovation could play a role is, is then the protection of the multimodal journeys. Because um, today there is no comprehensive insurance framework covering the entire multimodal trip in case of any kind of incident. Uh, in mobility as a service reality, one journey can consist of a ride of, uh, let's say, electric scooter, uh, tram or bus trip, and the ride with shared car. Um, and uh, in this this kind of multimodal um, reality, the status of the traveler then varies depending on the mode she or he is using and the respective passenger ride scheme, which are mode specific. But given the multimodal nature of mobility as a service, the insurance products should be developed to cover more than one transport leg and one mode. And what we are doing there is that we are currently working with our European, but also US-based partners to create a gap analysis and clear picture of what elements in the new mobility ecosystem are covered by existing mandatory or additional insurance schemes. And uh, this research will support the insurance sector in designing comprehensive insur insurance products for different modalities and segments. When we started the discussion with the insurance sector last year, also involving the mobility providers, um, there has been quite interesting um, conclusion there, even from the very early consideration that probably in future there would be a market for the comprehensive personal mobility insurances, uh, which can be then um, offered uh, or included um, in mobility as a service offering and uh, made available for the users via application. And that Insurance can be also a sort of like a creating competitive edge for any mass offering or mass solution and be, become a differentiator factor when they are marketing their services for the users. And of course, I strongly believe that mass can be um, or mass can create new channels, sales channels and also business opportunities for the insurance companies. And therefore, I have been very happy to now work closely also with the insurance sectors to start establishing and building something really new and bring also better services for the users, but also for mobility as a service companies. And lastly, what would you say are the main challenges to mobility as a service in the immediate future, given the coronavirus outbreak and the social distancing rules, which clearly disadvantage the use of public transport over private cars, for instance? Is the pandemic a threat or can it also be turned into an opportunity for, for mobility as a service? Um, as we speak today, of course, uh, the trans whole transport system and mobility sector, as all the other sectors of economy, are, are widely affected by the COVID situation. 
but I strongly believe that this is actually creating more opportunities than threats for mobility as a service. And um, that is because the mobility as a service is offering a full tray of different options that the user can then choose from based on their preferences, personal preferences, but also based on the prevailing circumstances. And uh, also in situation where uh, one mode or one transport service is not operating or it's uh, out of the question for any other reason, Mars is able to combine and provide alternatives. Uh, for sure, the, the current crisis, what we are now living, uh, is something no one wanted and, and we were able to foresee. But for me, um, I think we should use this momentum now to think really what we can learn from this experience. Um, quite surely, we can say that this is not the last time we will face um, any unknown threat um, in the form of pandemic or whatever, which is really, really influencing widely to our mobility system and behavior. So therefore, throughout the industries, throughout the mobility industry, we need to find new tools and also we need to um, have a new kind of thinking to improve the resilience of our systems and societies to be better prepared in future in also for the unexpected. And um, the agility is, is here the key. So even while ambitiously working according to plan A, um, there's always good to have a plan B or C just to create continuity for the businesses and for the services. And um, the, therefore also the Mars Alliance is, is participating um, several global initiatives where the main purpose is really to improve the resilience of transport system and uh, really learn from the experience what we are now um, going through. But after some 10 to 15 years, how we measure the eventual success of this crisis and crisis management, I think it very much depends actually on our ability to use this breaking point um, and to exploit it all transformative forces to work for us. So as our talks are now full of anticipation on getting things back to normal, maybe we should question that what that normal is. Is it really normal, normal that um, only in European Union every year it's 25,000 people killed in traffic accidents? Is it really normal that we spend approximately one hour per day in congestion? Or is it normal that while all other sectors have been able to decouple the growth in emissions from the economic growth in transport, we haven't managed to do that. So why, should, why shouldn't we use this moment to really define the new normal and the, the future where we want to actually go? So in that end, only in a few weeks, we have already witnessed quite many favorable changes in our mobility system and behavior, such as increase in cycling, freeing up space uh, from vehicles in cities to citizens, and also the rapid take of teleworking habits. And all of them might also have a quite long lasting impact in the mobility patterns. 
And um, as a result, already by now, several studies has, has indicated improved air quality and less emissions in the major metro metropolitan areas. What, of course, uh, today remains a question mark is in what extent the new working, travel and consumption habits learned during the lockdown weeks and months will establish a um, basis for more permanent evolution of our behavior. The other question, uh, which is quite wild, widely discussed today, is that um, if the ridership of public transportation and also shared mobility services will be negatively affected um, also in the long run uh, by, by the fact that, that today people are told to avoid use of um, mass transit due to the risk of contamination of any kind. So now it's very important that we are somehow able to maintain the general trust on safety of public transport and shared transport services. And here different digital innovations and tools can be in great help. Also, I think this is really good opportunity for the mass operators because they are there in a position of the inter or they are they are uh, the interface between users and the mobility providers. And uh, they have all the understanding um, on, on the um, needs of the users and they can match the demand and supply based on the preferences of the users and the external circumstances. So providing users a round tray of, of various public, private and shared mobility options and offering the op optimized offering for every single journey is uh, now really valuable asset in reconstituting that trust to mobility services. Also, where the digital applications and tools can help is, is that we see that users are having a big appetite for the detailed or even hunger for the detailed information on uh, different options. And um, that information is also now becoming even more essential when the safety aspects are hugely increasing their importance. And um, many public transport service providers are now talking or planning different measures to uh, communicate to users on the occupancy rate um, on or, or the how the when the fleet has been cleaned to increase that trust. And here the digital channels are very much uh, needed. Um, in the long run, I also feel that uh, although now we are in the middle of the days where uh, we are asked to stay socially isolated and uh, do physical distancing. Uh, I think in future we will maybe um, be willing to enjoy that social part of transportation and a bit more. And that is also good, of course, for the shared transport modes. But um, I personally hope and I also strongly believe that after we we will um, able to exit from this um, ongoing crisis um, and, and pandemic. The world still needs comfortable and smart mobility solutions more than actually ever before. I, I strongly believe that many of the habits, new habits, what we have learned during these days and new innovations, what we have seen will be there to stay. And uh, that is definitely good news for all of us for, for us who are working with the mobility as a service, but also for all of us as the users of transport system and um, residents of the planet Earth.
Thank you very much for this very insightful discussion, which has certainly left us with a little bit more optimism regarding the future of urban mobility and the important opportunities presented by the pandemic to shift towards a more sustainable, efficient and agile transport system. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into On The Move. Keep an eye out on our channels for new episodes.